you can be seated. Morning, everybody. Uh, so we are, well, I want to talk a little bit about the beauty of plurality of leadership and why that's so important and also explain why that doesn't say uh, victory and trials, first and second Peter up there. So we had our elder retreat a few weekends ago. We're going to keep referencing this, um, brainstorming ways of getting the guys in front of you to share what we talked about. because It was a really exciting time. But one of the things that we talked about at that retreat as, as we're getting together as the pastors of the church, the this five of us, the six of us, is, you know, a workout program is frequently most effective when you build in a rest day to let your muscles take a breath to, to kind of ease back into things uh, instead of just going crazy all the time. Because I am the type of personality who I'm like, well, that marathon was great. We should go run another one right now. And you need plurality of leadership because they can be like, yeah, but maybe the second marathon will be more effective if we take a rest day before running another 26 miles. And so one of the things that we talked about applying that to the sermon series was building in pauses, rest days in the sermon series to refocus us and recenter us and remind us of why we're doing all of this. I, I try and say it regularly in sermons, right? Like the this week let's all, where we're reading and we're applying, that's not arbitrary. That's not just so that we can tell people, hey, our people read more chapters this year. Like we're doing that to know God. In Bible studies, the summer Bible study that we have coming up, this six-week series, the point of that isn't so that we can say, see, look at us, we did three Bible studies last year instead of two, right? Like, we're better than that other church, they only did. No, the point of the Bible study is to know God, to know Jesus, so that we can be conformed to look like Jesus. And so we're going to build in intentional breaks, pauses, rest days, where we can refocus and recenter and remind ourselves that the call on our lives is to know God, to know Jesus, and then in that, to be like Jesus and to make Him known. And so we're going to begin that with a rest day today, and we're going to look at knowing God by name, because it is so beautiful and rich when you really start to dive into the magnitude of who God is. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1. And we're going to be in Job 38 and 39. If you're someone who likes to read along in your physical Bible, you can throw a finger in there, a bookmark in there. We'll be getting to those passages. Uh, but before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the powerful truth that in you and you alone we stand. Lord, that it's only because you have breathed new life into us that we stand. And so we praise you for that. We ask that in this time you would be magnified, you would be lifted high, that we would diminish, we would decrease, and you would increase. Lord, may these be your words. May we listen to your word with ears opened by the Holy Spirit, with hearts softened by you. Conform us to Jesus, Lord, and may you be glorified in this time. We want to know you, God. Lead us in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to begin at the beginning. Pretty logical place. If, if you're starting out on something, start at the start. So Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that name for God is Elohim. And this is a, a great place to begin for a number of reasons. One, it's because where the Bible begins. 
The Bible begins with Elohim. And as we go on to see, a lot of God's other names begin with a base understanding of Elohim. And so as we start off with this just kind of fundamental laying the groundwork of the name Elohim, a specific name of God, we see that it is the first name of God introduced in Scripture. It's also a name that God uses to introduce himself. He obviously uses it here through the writing of Scripture, but then God verbally introduces himself to Moses with this name. In Exodus 3, 4 through 6, When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God, I am Elohim of your father, the God of Abraham, Elohim of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is one of the most common names in the Old Testament for God. You see it pop up. I mean, if you keep going through Genesis, you see it so many times in Genesis. But then as you progress through the rest of the Old Testament, you continue to see this name. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. He is Elohim. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Isaiah 54, 5. The God of the whole earth He is called. The Elohim of the whole earth. Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I am the Lord, the Elohim of all flesh. And so this is a name that is fundamental to God. And we'll get to the details of what the name means because it helps reveal who God is, His character who he is as we know him, as we seek to be like him. But there's also a wonderful theological truth and lesson in this name Elohim. And this is fascinating. This is such a great name to know when you're looking at the foundational theology of our faith. Because Elohim is a plural form, but with singular verb use. And so what is that getting at? Think about it. If you've got a noun that is singular, but then it, so you have a noun man, right? I am a man. Mark and I, we are men. That is the plural form of the noun male. And so you've got this noun Eloah that is singular. And then Elohim is the plural form of that noun. So what verbs would you expect to see with a plural form of a noun? you would expect to see plural verbs, plural pronouns, right? But it's a plural noun that uses singular verbs, singular pronouns. And you see this in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in Genesis 1.27, you see, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the beautiful theological truth that we see packed into this name Elohim is monotheistic, one God, Trinitarian right off the bat. One God, three members of the Godhead, plural Elohim, singular verb and pronoun use. Right from the very first words of Scripture, you've got the triune God presented. 
And it's incredible how God uses even the deliberate language to teach us these theological truths. And so Elohim is a fascinating name for the theology it helps us understand and reveals to the people as they, as they hear these words spoken. But then as you're considering Elohim, you see that it can be used singularly. And again, when you go back to one God, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, you see that the singular form of Elohim is then equally used to describe all three members of the Godhead. So not one member is lesser than the other. They are all named El. In Genesis 14, 18, God the Father. In Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. El, talking about God the Father. In Job 33, 4, talking about the Holy Spirit, it says, the Spirit of God has made me. And it uses El as the name of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in Isaiah 7:14 in Matthew 1, 21 and 23 through 23. In Isaiah 7:14, it says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. If you can look on there, I know it's kind of small, but that's the Hebrew. And what that is, is that's L. The name Emmanuel is L modified by a man. I-M-M-A-N. And so you've got all three members of the Godhead using the name El to identify themselves in Scripture. Then you have Elohim, the plural, identifying a singular God. It's incredible what God's names teach to us as we wrap our mind around this idea of one God, three distinct eternal persons. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Jesus is not lesser. It is one God, one perfect God, perfectly existing eternally in three distinct persons. It's not modalism. It's not, well, right now he's God the Father, and then in order to become Jesus the Son, he has to stop being God the Father. He can only be one. I mean, even in God's name, we see this just foundational theology to our faith, which is so fascinating to see how he uses the very deliberate language of his name to teach us these things. And so it's, it's wonderful. And then this name, as a name Elohim, God also uses and it, it builds. It's called a compound name because it's then combined with other adjectives or descriptors to build off the base of Elohim. You get many other names of God. You have, uh, and I can't pronounce all these Hebrew words, so we're just going to pretend that I say them perfectly as you hear them. And hands up if you speak Hebrew. So as far as you guys know, I am pronouncing these perfectly, and we're just going to run with that. You have Eloi Hazdai. This is God of my kindness. Eloi, Elohe, hey Elohim, God of gods. Elohe Mauzi, God of my strength. Elohi Tesvea, God of hosts. Elohi Kadem, God of the beginning. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Olam, everlasting God. El Yan, God most high. And so many times in Scripture, you see God identify Himself through the prophets, through the different writings, as these building blocks of Elohim plus something. And so it's wonderful because what we're going to get to in a second is that Elohim, as a name, means mighty one, strong one. 
But it can also be used, if you look through Scripture, if you look at the original language, Elohim can be used to talk about angels as mighty ones. It can be used to talk about secular rulers of the day as you know the powerful king in the region. And so what's incredibly interesting about Elohim is that you have this building block of supreme mightiness, and then it gets this idea of mightiness reveals further of God, or further attributes of God, rather. So for example, when you're looking at God of my kindness, it's beginning with Elohim. So it's mighty kindness. It's supreme kindness. It is the highest form of kindness possible because that name is built on the foundation of Elohim, the name of God. And when you look at Romans 1.20, one of my favorite verses where it's talking about God and it says that from the beginning of time, we, we knew God. We were able to see His divine attributes, His divine power in what has been made so that people are without excuse. So the created world, where you go back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim made, right? Genesis 1, Elohim made, and then in Romans 1.20, you see that in what was made, we see God's divine power, His supreme might. So it begins with this foundation of Elohim, but then it can't stop there. It's got to go on as we get to know God. So in many ways, when you see Elohim being used, you're seeing it following up as now a descriptor to another more personal, intimate name of God, Yahweh. Psalm 109, 26, it says, Help me, O Lord my God, save me according to your steadfast love. And in Hebrew, it's saying, According to your mercy, O save me, Elohim, Yahweh. Help me. And so there's this wonderful progression that you see in Scripture related to the names of God, where as God's people get to know Him and walk closer with Him, they begin to use these other names. They begin to use Elohei Mauzi, Elohei Tzesveat. But they also come back to Elohim. And so in the same vein, as we progress in our faith, as we mature, as we walk closer with Jesus, as we get to know God, we may be moving beyond, okay, I will recognize Romans 1.20, I will recognize His power, and now I am growing to know Him. And so I, I was introduced to Him as Elohim, the Supreme Mighty One, and now I'm getting to know Him as Supreme in kindness, Supreme in mercy, Supreme in goodness, supreme in faithfulness. Now I'm calling him Yahweh, but also acknowledging that he is Elohim. And so it's this incredible maturation of knowledge of God as we go deeper in fellowship with him and become more aware of who he is in our lives. But we can never forget that base name. We can never forget Elohim. Because what it does mean, as I've, as I've referenced, as I've said, is it means strong one, mighty one, supreme one. And I think sometimes we just need to remember that. We just need to consider that God is supreme in His might. I mean, what were some of the stories that we've read in Scripture in the last two weeks, in the follow-up chapters as we've been looking at the lesson on Sunday, okay, we're going to read these chapters. They're going to help us learn how to continue to apply the lesson and see the lesson. We read about Daniel, Daniel 6. He's thrown into a den of hungry lions. What do we see when other people are thrown into that same den? It says before they even hit the bottom of the den, the lions had devoured them and shattered their bones. When Daniel fell in the lion's den, was thrown in the lion's den, 
It says that God sent his angels to close the mouths of these starving lions. A series that we did last year, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, where God knocked down the walls of a city at will. Noah closed the door of the ark, not by himself, but by God's might. They survived, not by their own, but by God. The parting of the Red Sea. David and Goliath. I mean, you're talking about a kid versus the number one warrior in the land. Logan, you're a good basketball player. I've seen you play. Answering realistically, you think you have a chance against LeBron James one-on-one? No. Logan doesn't have a shot against LeBron James one-on-one. That was David and Goliath. But also if LeBron James had a spear and a sword while they're trying to play basketball. David wins. I mean, so many times, think of, you remember flannel graph in the kid's wing where you stick the things up and the one person always fell and so it's like, okay, just kidding, he's still part of the story. The flannel graph boards. We relegate those stories to the kid's wing, but adults need to hear them too. Adults need to remember that our God is the mighty one. Our God is the one who fought Goliath. Our God is the one who sent Gideon and said, yeah, 30,000 guys, way too much. We're going to go down to 300 so that you know the victory is mine. So we can't ever, as we know God, as we mature in our faith, as we grow in fellowship, as we grow looking like Jesus, yes, we should know God as that list of all those names of Elohei following something. Elohim, El Shaddai, Eloman, Elyon. We should know those names of God. But we can never lose sight of that base name, that very first name that he uses in Genesis 1-1 of Elohim. I mean, really think about this physical world that you're existing in. Carl Sagan, if you know the name Carl Sagan, astrophysicist, brilliant guy, and he has a quote that I love. He says, if you really want to make an apple pie, how many of you like to bake from scratch? Anybody prefer scratch baking? Yep, we got some hands going up. Carl said, I hate to burst your bubble, none of you have ever baked from scratch. None of, none of you. Because Carl Sagan wisely pointed out that if you truly wish to bake an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. I mean, wrap your mind around that. God spoke and out of nothingness created everything. In Colossians, talking about Jesus, it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The sun... The planets, even Pluto, which got downgraded, God keeps those spinning by the word of his power. The universe that we are so desperate to try and wrap our minds around and understand, God upholds it by the word of his power. In the Old Testament, one of my favorite verses is God is talking to kings, or he's he's using a prophet to talk to kings, and the kings are worried because they set out foolishly, they disobeyed God's plan, and now they're engaged with an enemy, they're about to get wiped out, and they're like, what are we going to do? This is huge. And God says, okay, you disobeyed, I'll step in, I'll intervene. And he says this wonderful sentence, he says, this is a small thing to me. Like, this is nothing to me. You think that army is intimidating to me? You think I'm not supreme in this situation? 
I love the descriptor of Jesus in Revelation 19 where it says He's at the head of heaven's armies thundering with eyes like fire and a sword coming out of His mouth. You Lord of the Rings fans? No, you're not nerdy like me. Alright, well, Lord of the, for the three fellow nerds out there, there's, there's a battle scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is leading this charge of an army down a hill and the light behind him blinds the enemies and they, they flee in terror. I mean, that's Revelation 19. Braveheart, Gladiator, all of these, Rambo, all these heroes that we hold up. You read Revelation 19 and you see a description of a warrior that makes those guys look like the wimpy kid knocked over on the playground. We can never lose sight of the base name Elohim. Because from page one to page however many your Bible has, based on the size of the print, whatever, every page is a reminder that God is supreme in His mightiness. This is the very first name that He introduces Himself to as God. In the beginning, Elohim, the supreme one, the mighty one, the strong one. Not a strong one, but the strong one. And so we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. A lot of time, I mean, you know, I, hopefully you know, I pack scripture into the sermons. My theory is always, I heard, a, I heard a speaker say this at camp one time, and I said, that's the single best philosophy I've ever heard. And then when I got called to be a preacher, I thought of this speaker at camp. A camp speaker one time said, God's word is alive and active and sharp. My word is dead, stagnant, and dull. I'm going to use more of God's words than mine. So we, we will always pack as much Scripture into a sermon as we can. But this morning, we're really, we're going to read through two chapters of Scripture, and we're going to go slowly. And I'm, I'm going to pause and occasionally say, think about that. But I'm not, I'm not going to explain. I mean, it's imagery that you will be able to wrap your mind around. You'll see where we're going in a second. But before we do, I want to point out some things that have happened in our world. So July 9th to July 10th, overnight, 1958, in Latoya Bay, Alaska, a tsunami hit Latoya Bay, Alaska. And the surge wave in a tsunami, the highest wave, the, most strong, the strongest wave, the most powerful wave, is called the surge wave. And the surge wave of this tsunami hit a peak of 1,720 feet. To give you a frame of reference, that's the Empire State Building at 443 meters tall. This wave was 520 meters tall. I mean, that is a force of nature like I cannot wrap my mind around. 1,720 feet. A football field is 300 feet, right? 100 yards, 300 feet. So that is uh, at least five football fields, almost six football fields. I mean, think of six football fields stretching out, and now imagine that vertically as a wave of water crashing down on you. This happened in 1958. This next picture, this is a hailstorm over Seattle. Look at that. I mean, there was so much hail coming down that it looked like a gauzy sheet over the sky. You ever been hit by hail? Yeah, that's not fun. You wake up, you go out to your car, You've got little ball-peen hammer marks all over your car. So now imagine that hailstorm where it's literally blanketing the sky, okay? So now, 
Let's read Job 38 and 39. And just, just think. Just think of these descriptions and think of Elohim. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by, knowledge with, by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Think about that. Where, where were you? Where were you and I when the foundation of the earth was laid, the cornerstone of the earth was laid? Who in this room has the power to stretch out a line and measure the earth by a word of their power? Remember that tsunami wave? Listen to what God says in verse 8. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Who enjoys a morning sunrise or an evening sunset? Who of you gets consulted with, hey, what color should the sunset be tonight? Hey, what color should I make the sunrise? Do any of us wield the brush that paints that sky? This is Elohim. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is and on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? California's going through a terrible drought right now. When you think about it, Pray for the people, pray for the produce. I mean, like, California is suffering through a terrible drought right now. How many of us could say, okay, time for rain? Not a person. Have you carved out the torrents for the rain? Do we tell the rain when and where to fall? Has the rain a father who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? 
The waters became hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Anybody enjoy looking up at the starry night sky in the middle of summer? My dad got to spend time in Alaska, and true story, right? The, the best starry night sky you've ever seen is Alaska, Kenai Peninsula, right? No light pollution. <laughs> That's right. You did tell me that. Okay, second best. Second best starry night sky, right? All right, so think of your favorite starry night that you've looked at. These names that we're about to see are names of constellations, names of stars. So with that starry night sky in your mind, verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts? Who has given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thickets? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They, do, they go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom have I given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? What do they talk about? You ever watch a Western movie, you know anything about ranching? You get in a young Mustang, you get in a wild animal. What, what, do they talk, what do they have to do to this animal for it to serve them? Break it. You got to break it in, right? Why? Because the wild animal is not going to serve us. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? The wild ox is willing to serve Elohim. Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with your ropes? Will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great and will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locusts? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. 
He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, from the rocky crag and stronghold, from there he finds his prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there he is. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault, tender, fault finder contend with the Lord Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job promises silence. He goes on and he says, Yeah, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't have questioned you. He says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. God says to Job, tell you what, I will acknowledge that you can save yourself when you can clothe yourself with dignity and majesty and splendor. When you can do those things, sure, then I'll acknowledge your power. None of us can do those things. We all got dressed this morning. Not one of us got dressed with majesty and dignity. Not one of us clothed ourselves with literal glory and splendor. That's Elohim. That is God from the beginning. It's awesome. So then we come to the New Testament and we hear passages, we hear Jesus say things like, don't worry about tomorrow. I've got it. Why? Because he's Elohim. So see, when we get to the New Testament, I think sometimes we start to doubt these promises of Jesus. I think we start to doubt these things He calls us to because they seem too hard. They seem too daunting. So when we listen to Peter's challenges that he lays out, we're like, Peter, I can't do that. That's too much. And so we have to go back to Elohim. We have to go back to the God of supreme might and power and remind ourselves oh yeah, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is the Holy Spirit who indwells me. This is His name. He is Elohim. It's a name that shapes so much of our perspective. So this week, just read Psalm 8. Read Psalm 8. And a reminder, the purpose of these this week, let's all, right, is to know God, but it's also... 
We're not trying to learn new things. In order, When we say read Daniel 6, you don't have to read the whole book of Daniel to get the specific context. What we're doing with this is we're taking what we looked at in the sermon, and then we're seeing, okay, where else is this in Scripture so that we continue to build the overall understanding of God's Word start to finish? So with the understanding of Elohim, with the awareness of Elohim, read Psalm 8 this week and just consider what David writes there. And then how do you apply it? Rest. Rest in knowing that Elohim is supreme in his might. That situation at work, Elohim is supreme over it. It is not stronger than him. That relationship that's going terrible, Elohim is stronger than that. The weight you feel, the stress you feel, the exhaustion you feel, Elohim is mightier than that. Rest in that. Find joy in that. Find comfort in that. That stress about what's going on in the world, freaking out over every news headline, Elohim is stronger than all of it. His might is supreme. Rest, church. And then take up the fight. Because we are fighting with Elohim. Logan, what if instead of you versus LeBron, it was you and LeBron versus me? Are you walking onto that court intimidated by me? No. You didn't even hesitate, man. That's insulting. No, of course not. If Logan's walking onto the basketball court with LeBron, he's saying, yeah, let's do this. Guys, we're walking onto the court with LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant. I mean, like, you pick your team. We're walking onto the court with the best that have ever done it. We walk onto the battlefield of life following Elohim. He's the one who's at the head of the army. He's the one who's come up with the battle plan. He's the one who's made the weapons. Come on. That's victory. May we be a church that embodies this, where people say, man, you're different. Yeah, let me tell you about Elohim. And so the prayer ideas are simple. Just praise God for this. Reread Job 38 and 39. Take the time to praise Him for those things. Reread those old flannel graph stories that you loved as a kid. Praise God for those things. Let's just let's be grateful that God is called Elohim. And then the connect as we seek to continue to be a body. What's it say in Ephesians 4? Building itself up in love. Iron sharpening iron. Just reach out to someone from the church and say, hey, dude, you're having a tough day? Let me just remind you that God is Elohim. Just, just take comfort in that. Take solace in that. Take the initiative in this. If nobody's reached out to you, I'm sorry. Who have you reached out to? Let's remind each other that God is Elohim. Because there are weeks where I forget that. And I need Trevor to send me a text that says, hey man, don't know if you need to hear it this week, but God is Elohim. And then you know what? Two months later, Trevor forgets that, and he needs me to send him a text that says, hey man, don't know if you need to hear this, but God is Elohim. 
So let's remind each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's build up the body in love as we grow knowing the confidence that our God is Elohim. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you are great and mighty. And we mean that in the purest sense of those words. There is no one with strength like yours. There is no one with power like yours. There is no one with a supremacy like yours. And so we praise you for being Elohim. Thank you that we can know you by name and that one of those beautiful names is Elohim. Forgive us for when we forget this. Forgive us for when we try and avoid this, when we try and go through life on our own power. Lord, remind us to return to you to find rest in you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. May we go forth every day of life knowing that we walk out following Elohim. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.